but I basically leaned over the table and it, you can imagine as executive or command staff, I'm like, we're going to fix this. And they all just kind of looked at me with big eyes and got a little scared and said, okay. Hello and welcome to Shop Talk, where we talk about what's going on in law enforcement and around the Scottsdale Police Department. Now here are your hosts, Chief Jeff Walter and Commander Chris Coffey. Hey everyone, welcome to the 13th episode, Chris, 13th episode of Shop Talk. I'm Chief Jeff Walter with my trusty sidekick, uh, Commander Chris Coffey. Thank, thank you. But yeah, 13th episode already. We're excited to be back with uh, with you this month. And uh, amazing guest uh, we have, and uh, Angela Harrell, who will be uh, will be speaking with us momentarily. It's uh, great, going to be a great discussion about uh, about her, about the 100 Club, about the amazing things that uh, she and her staff and her organization do on behalf of uh, public safety. But let's talk a little bit about uh, what we have going on right now, Chris. We have a lot of stuff happening, Chief. Uh, this is a busy time for us. We're getting ready for uh, Super Bowl. We're getting ready for Waste WM, Phoenix Open, Barrett-Jackson. Uh, great things. So we're just uh, we're making sure the community is ready and prepared and safety is paramount. Yeah, notice that you, you do the same thing that I do. You, you want to say waste. Ah, you can't call it waste management, uh, Phoenix Open anymore. you got to call it the WM. Phoenix Open. So yeah, a lot, lot of preparations related to that and what's going on uh, here in the PD around the Valley. A lot of things going on uh, with that, especially with, with, with Scottsdale PD. Again, we have the Open, we have Super Bowl activities, we have sanctioned and unsanctioned uh, events going on in the city. And so definitely a, a great time to prepare, but we'll, we will be uh, really connecting with all of our our Valley partners and um, law enforcement, and, and we're, we're going to be a net importer of police resources in the Valley. And so uh, everybody's been great offering up some help because you just don't have enough to do it all. One thing that uh, I'll talk about real briefly before we, uh, before we bring Angela on and, and start talking with her is something that I don't think is, is getting enough uh, attention in the media and in a spotlight right now is, you know, we talk about a lot of different things in our country going on, uh, a lot of polarization, a lot of division, a lot of a lot of politics, a lot of nonsense uh, going on that really, um, I think, has our eye uh, off the ball, so to speak. There's a, there's a major um, news story that I just don't think is getting enough attention, and it connects with so many big uh, news stories, and, and that is the significant, significant reduction in those uh, people who are interested in becoming uh, police officers in the, in, in the country, in the state, um, in every police department that I know of uh, in Arizona and all of them around the country. You know, we, we spend a lot of time in the media and social media talking about the rise in violent crime and things that have gone on um, in just about every city, including our own. And we, or the media, uh, tends not to connect that rise in violent crime with the significant staffing reductions we are seeing in law enforcement uh, in Arizona and around the country. And so, I'm going to connect those dots for you in just a, a brief discussion about that. And we see what, what what's going on is we have uh, reaped what we've sown in this country uh, by the media uh, portraying uh, law enforcement in such a negative light over the last two plus years. And I, I always, when I have this conversation, I say, is some of that, is some of that narrative, negative narrative, is some of that warranted in places around the country? 
It is. It is. But it's certainly not warranted uh, in every police department and every police officer who's put on a badge and a gun and said, uh, I want to protect and serve those people who are either unwilling or unable to protect themselves. And so what you've seen is uh, a very strong uh, news cycle over the last two plus years that have really painted all of law enforcement in, in a very negative light. And I use a an analogy, I compare that to teachers. When you when you see a teacher who commits, and there was an article I read not too long ago uh, about a teacher who, in a high school, a uh, female teacher who had had um, sexual relationships with nine different students in a high school. And while you look at that and people watch that and see it on the news and they, they, they call that for what it is and you say, well, that's a predator. But by and large, we don't apply that thought process to all teachers. We don't say all teachers are bad. We don't say all teachers are predators. And of course not. That would be ridiculous and shameful. We look at that and we say, well, that's wrong. And that's one teacher. We don't apply that same broad brush to, to, to teachers in the, in the way we do law enforcement. And so when you have a, uh, a Derek Chauvin who uh, you know, kills George Floyd, or you have others that, that commit acts of violence, then what happens is the media portrays that and, and a, many activist group portray all of law enforcement as bad. And what that has done for us over the last two plus years is that has really, we have seen people leave the profession, people retire, uh, people just get out completely and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Uh, we have fewer and fewer and fewer applicants who are interested in a, in a life of service in a law enforcement organization. And what you're seeing is massive, massive shortages. I'll give you just some in the Valley, you know, at Phoenix at 525 sworn vacancies. That's madness. That's 3,125 sworn allocated positions and they have 525 vacancies. Uh, uh, Chief Ken Koss from Mesa and I are good friends uh, and they're at their recent numbers, they just came below 70. They're at 63 sworn vacancies. Uh, here in Scottsdale, we're at 34 sworn vacancies. Uh, Tempe is a similar or higher number. Chandler, the last I saw, was 29 sworn vacancies. Um, this is not sustainable, folks. This is We need your help. We need to help get the word out um, to those young people and not-so-young people who have an interest in serv- serving others and, and really standing up for this country and this profession. Uh, if you have those people are looking for something to do, they're, you know, they're getting out of the military, they're, they're in college or getting out of college, and they're, they're yearning for something to do that is service-oriented, that is essential to the uh, forward progress of this country, uh, this city, our state, then please you know, gently urge them to think about law enforcement. It's an amazing, amazing career uh, there is nothing like it. I, I talk about the nobility of service regularly. There is just nothing like this profession where you can stand uh, in in the service of other people. You can protect and serve those people, again, who I said who are un- unable or unwilling to protect themselves. And so we are not going to turn this corner on crime until we get the right numbers of law enforcement officers in the right positions, in the right police departments. So just my side note, I'll get off my, uh, I'll get off my soapbox, uh, but just give that some consideration. All of these things are connected, Chris. And uh, yeah, that's my, uh, that's my PSA for today. You know, one thing, Chief, that you talked about that uh, if I can give my two cents is it, it is one of the most noble professions out there. But the fantastic thing about our profession is there's so many different jobs within law enforcement. So 
there is, you know, patrol, which is phenomenal, but then there's specialty units, there's detectives, there's the lab, dispatch, detention. So uh, anybody out there can find their passion. So that's, that's the most, you know, amazing thing about this profession. So. Are you looking to make a change in your community? Are you ready to be the change? Are you looking for us? Because we're looking for you. Join the SPD and apply today at scottsdalepd.com. Our special guest this month has a story that will amaze you, bring you to tears, and joy all at the same time. She has a history of being an accomplished former special agent of the Diplomatic Security Service, contract special investigator for the U.S. Department of State, former secretary and fire chief over the General Motors Proving Ground. She's a real estate broker and partner in local businesses. She's a trusted resource for Arizona's public safety members and is the CEO and president of the 100 Club of Arizona. Please welcome Angela Harrell to Chief Talk. Uh, I am super happy to have uh, Angela Harrell here. Uh, just she's been an amazing partner to us, to the law enforcement community in uh, in Arizona. And uh, there are times I tell you it during very very difficult times um, when law enforcement officers uh, or first responders are killed or seriously injured in the line of duty. That Angela is um, she and her staff are those angels who who come forward and really. Um, do some amazing, amazing things and, and continue to do amazing things. And Angela has uh, a story herself and how she how she got connected with the 100 Club. But So welcome. And uh, if you would kind of just tell us a little, about, a little bit about yourself and how you, uh, how you came to be in the position you're in today. But you have such an interesting background that, uh, that I didn't even know about. And so can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, That could be a really long story. I'm not that old, but it's still kind of a long story. But I'm sitting here kind of just like, there's so many things I want to even talk about just based on your little intro talking about, you know, recruitment and retention and retirement and all of those pieces that are such important factors and all of the things that are happening around the country. But then uh, Commander Coffee here had mentioned also just the different facets, the different facets of law enforcement and how you can serve your communities and such. And You know, I come from a farm in rural Minnesota, and it's a hog farm. Super sexy, right? I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, 5,000 bacon. Yes. Bacon is a fruit, I heard. Did you know that? It's a fruit? Yeah, it comes from the swine vine. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. I know. That's gross. Anyway, um, just for the vegetarians out there. But uh, nonetheless, I come from a farm in a very rural community, 2,000 people. My high school had like 400 people in it, and our town has half the number of people in it as my kids' high school, which is kind of crazy to think. But I started there, ended up, though, at ASU, like most Midwesterners said, that's enough of this uh, shoveling and these frigid, frigid temperatures. But I came to ASU and was fortunate enough to apply to a position with the U.S. Department of State Bureau of Diplomatic Security Service, of where I served as a special agent for nearly a decade. It was a great opportunity, another different facet of law enforcement that a lot of people don't think of. I never imagined I'd want to be the kick in the doors SWAT kind of person, but yet diplomacy is right up my right up my alley. I can sit here and talk to you folks or talk to anybody else at the same time and usually can maneuver through it with a little bit of class. And um, But during that time, I ended up doing, we had a couple different roles. So we did protection. So I did protection for um, Secretary Albright, uh, Secretary 
Mary Colin Powell and uh, Condoleezza Rice, but also some other pretty incredible folks like Nelson Mandela and also the Dalai Lama. So really ran the wow. gamut. That's, wow. uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. So protection was a big piece that took me um, along with some other service obligations there again, that multifaceted approach uh, to ultimately 45 countries throughout the world. And there's no greater country than the country we live in. That's totally what I agree. Learned. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish more people felt that way or recognized that. Yeah. Well, and that's the beauty. And hopefully we can get back to talking a little bit about what has happened in the last two, two and a half years. And, you know, my perspective is different because I have had the opportunity to travel. And with that um, defunding police movement and all the negative rhetoric, and I, I could go on for at least an hour about that, but I say quite often, if these, these folks who really truly believe in defunding police and defunding our first responders as a whole, if they had the opportunity to go spend some time, maybe a week, two weeks, maybe three months in a country where 911 is not an option, they might change their uh, perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, so often um, we take things for granted in this country. And, and it's that's one of those things. The, f- the freedom is amazing. The freedom of speech you're talking about, the, all of it is amazing. Uh, it's just that I think we've gotten so comfortable. Mm-hmm. We've gotten a little lazy. And, yes. uh, and now we just take that, we take that for granted. Well, and it's now empowerment from your basement. You know, everyone has a voice totally, yeah. uh, <laughs> and from the keyboard warriors, they call them, but yes. So, you know, my time overseas definitely gave me good perspective and not only were they short lived travels, but we also, uh, did embassy security and facility protection, working very closely with the Marine security guard detachments, um, obviously in the foreign service realm with different components from, let's say, the um, working with the FBI legats overseas, the CIA, and some other pretty incredible folks. So that was another piece of what we did. Wow, that's fascinating. That's really, really cool. Yeah, that's only like two parts of what we do. And then the final piece was ultimately just visa and visa passport fraud, some domestic investigations, also international investigations that support things um, or support initiatives against child trafficking and all sorts of different, different approaches. So is that when you went over to the State Department or how did that? So the State Department, Bureau of Diplomatic Security, all three of those things are encompassed under that one umbrella. Okay. And it is, it's a, a foreign service opportunity for law enforcement, if you can imagine. So those are the three major responsibilities under that special agent role. And it was, um, I call it poor man's jet set because thank you government for flying me to all of these wonderful places that most people would never want to go to. However, I was able to experience them and now I can go as a tourist to places like, let's say Italy or someplace just uh, very first world. That's pretty amazing. So. Then you make a transition. You you come here, and uh, I looked because I didn't know this either. Former security and fire chief over the General Motors proving ground. So it's, yeah. at some point you transition <laughs> out of out of that diplomatic security right. spot, and and you come you come yeah, here, which I is know. a little different than the Midwest. Uh, considerably hotter yes it's okay <laughs> far more miserable i know but fast cars you know why not <laughs> so how did that happen what how did that so happen? diplomatic security jet setting sure. to the automotive industry right. <laughs> yeah so. well and in full disclosure technically i was i was security and fire so the law enforcement and fire chief sorry 
Chief Walther, but that's okay. actually that's, both that's, roles there. I, I did that for a little while too <laughs> in my very short retirement. I, I too uh, was excited to be a hose dragger and, uh, and, hang out, and hang out at the fire station. It's, okay, it's great candidly, job. I mean, we've talked about this, but I am holding my Scottsdale Fire um, coffee mug this morning, which is the coolest and one I've ever they, seen. And they, I have one, I have to, full disclosure, I have <laughs> I have one on my desk as well, and uh, they're, they're pretty amazing. So they did a great job in, in, uh, in having those made. They sure did. So um, how did I end up back at GM? Well, I would say, you know, in my tenure with the State Department as a special agent, Obviously, I started single and young, and you can do lots of things when you're young and single. I had no pets. I had no children. I had a plant to worry about. And when you travel 77% of the time, even the plant is hard to sustain at some point. But fortunately, you have a small community that can help each other out. Should have been a cactus. Right. (laughs) I would have had better luck. But no, I chose this sprawling green plant. Anyway, nonetheless. But um, I actually, like I said, traveling a lot. Well, then I got married. that slows you down because then you're like, okay, whose career is going to lead? And he was an officer and a firefighter and a paramedic, not three guys, just one guy. And nonetheless, we um, were like, okay, whose career is going to lead? How are we going to do that? So it became this tag team. Like, I'm going to ask for a leave of absence here, and then I'll come with you overseas to Chile because I happened to be there for almost two years. And that was wonderful. So he got his master's and we came back and I got pregnant. Well, that'll really slow you down. So if getting married doesn't slow you down, having a child will slow you down. Yeah, definitely. Kids will, uh, kids are wonderful, but they'll definitely slow you down. All of a sudden they become the true priority, right? And then I had a second child. I know, like grinding halt is basically what happened at that point. Because you're like, all right, hang on. I can't be traveling with the secretary and you cannot be jumping out of helicopters. Somebody has to be the constant with these children. So... Yeah. <laughs> Somebody has to raise these things we made. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. We both can't be gone 24 hours a day. So nonetheless, anyway, stayed here in Arizona. And um, unfortunately, during that time, while I was on a leave of absence and he was out here, I we had a terrible situation that happened within our family. Uh, Bruce had gone to work um, on an oct- a beautiful October day, and during his time at work on the helicopter, the rescue helicopter with the Department of Public Safety, Arizona DPS, he was doing a rescue in Sedona, and during that rescue, he was struck and killed by the helicopter rotor blade. So at that point, um, you just got to think about what's important. Is it the travel? Is it the jet setting? The poor man's jet setting, I should say. Is it the, right. what is it? And I leaned into my kids and I said, you know what? A sense of community. That's what's important. Right. The community did bear hug us. And I'm so forever grateful for that. Both sides, fire and PD because of his affiliation. Right. He was both. Yes, yeah. I yeah. know. The hose dragger. And <laughs> yeah, so that doesn't. Yeah, I could go on all day about that. But <laughs> but it was and actually he worked for Scottsdale Fire actually for um, for a couple of years prior to going back over to DPS when the accident happened. So they're also near and dear to my heart. You know, I, I can't imagine uh, that that trauma in your life, uh, and it's it's interesting. And I, there's a connection that I have. My my son-in-law is a flight paramedic with uh, an air ambulance company that flies in and out of Glacier National Park, Kalispell, oh, wow. and the Whitefish area. Oh my goodness! And so I remember um, when your husband Bruce. I remember when that took place, uh, and it just. When my when my daughter married uh, my son-in-law and a former army ranger, 
this was his goal, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, you know, it can be so dangerous. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it's just an un, unimaginable, but you you have taken uh, what has got to be one of life's hardest hands uh, that was dealt to you, and you just, I don't know, you just seem to have, to have so much poise and class and, and connection. You really turned that into uh, service. You know, I talked about service at the beginning of the show, and you are you are the poster child of, of somebody who is in service to a community that that uh, can often be in pain. And so, can you talk about that a little bit? How you made that transition from from just the unimaginable tragedy uh, into where you are today? I think that a lot of people in their struggles in life, whether it has um, whether it's about with cancer or whether it's a tragedy similar to mine, people want to channel their energy into giving back. And often people will start a nonprofit or they'll get involved in a nonprofit. It's like whomever helped them, they want to make sure that they can also give back or pay it forward. And that's absolutely how I ended up where I am. You know, when I was given that notice of that, it was a terrible day, obviously. Uh, The next morning after... The 100 Club showed up at my house, and I had no idea who they were, which is hard to believe, you know, with all of that public safety service to our community already, and then to not know who the 100 Club of Arizona was was just so shocking to me. And it was it was a tough time, the economy. I mean, it was a recession. It was just we were extended. We were a young family. We've got two little kids. You know, they're only two and four. And just, I don't know, it was just so much going on. The 100 Club came in and they handed me a check for $15,000. And I'll tell you, it allowed me to just take a breath. I didn't have to worry about paying the mortgage that month. And we were. We were stretched. You know, we made short poor right, choices. Like any young family, yeah. especially any young law enforcement yes. family, that's just, right. that's what we do. That's life sometimes. Absolutely. And now, as like I said, he's fire and he's PD. So, of course, you know, he's like, oh, we have to have a boat. Okay. And we've got to have that. <laughs> oh, my God. That is jokes. so the firefighter. And we got to have a boat. We must have ATVs. Yeah, got, we yeah. got to have the big truck. I was going to say the big truck. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was not red, but the big truck. So, you had to have all those things and you realized in an instant that you don't need any of those things. So when they did come in and supply us with that as that additional fund um, or funds, it was very supportive and wonderful. But more importantly, I sat across from the individual at the table who had gone through a similar journey as mine. She had lost her husband, um, happened to also be DPS, um, was a motor officer, and he was killed in the line of duty uh, many years prior. But again, it has to do with hope. It has to do with service. It has to do with the ability to pay it back. So right away, I was working with the team from DPS primarily that first week. You know, we had meetings every single morning. I had no idea how to plan a funeral. My kids are running around the house, and there are a lot of strangers, but yet we call them family. We also have friends in the house. We also have true biological family in the home. And in that instant, you know, for whatever reason, people become laser focused on certain things within their own loss. So maybe it might be, you know, what is the weather that day? Mine happened to be insurance, which is kind of like a crazy thing. But I had a insane gravity defying two year old who might as well have had a frequent flyer card to Phoenix Children's Hospital, who was amazing. And I was like, you know what? What about our insurance? And they were like, oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry. You know, we, your family will always be taken care of. We're here to support you. That's day one. Day two. Angela, why are you asking about the insurance? We told you everything's going to be fine. Day three, same thing. 
I remind you he was killed on a Monday afternoon. The meetings basically started Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday morning. Every day I asked the same question. And on Friday morning, they brought somebody new to the room. We all know what that means. It means that they're going to give me information that maybe somebody else who already had an established you know, relationship didn't want to give. So I said, okay, you're sure we're good with the insurance? And they said, oh, yeah, sorry, it's the end of the pay period. That it, it ends the end of the pay period. Yeah. So he, we haven't had the services, um, nothing. We haven't buried him, We nothing. And yet they've turned off all of our benefits. Like all I'm asking is to make sure my kids are covered at least for another week or so because he was the primary you know, provider of the insurance benefits, just how we chose them. That was tough. And uh, so, you know, how did it lead me to where I am is kind of where I'm going with this. But I basically leaned over the table and it, you can imagine as executive or command staff, I'm like, we're going to fix this. And they all just kind of looked at me with big eyes and got a little scared and said, okay, <laughs> not knowing what they were getting into, but yeah, we should probably fix that. So that started my initiative to try to give back and affect change in different ways. And one of which was to become an ambassador for the 100 club and to help other families that were ultimately going to come after me of which they did. And one way was to work with the legislature here in Arizona to institute a law that it wasn't, it was a challenge and it took almost two years, but it is now known as the Harold's Law, and it allows for continuing access to insurance through the department, um, but at our own cost, um, for basically forever, which is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Wow, that's that is amazing, and and thank you for doing that. And you know, it's sad that uh, you know it had to take two years to to get that done. It's, you know, what's so surprising is people are like, what do you mean? Like, that doesn't exist already. And why doesn't that exist? And why aren't we taking care of our families? And I really believe that it's not about that somebody didn't do it. It's that they didn't have the knowledge of it and the effect that that would have, for example, on a young family. So for us, it was $1,900 a month for COBRA until we could figure out a plan. And we paid that $1,900 a month reluctantly. But like I said, for two years, there's no retroactive piece. And we are paying our own premiums and such, but at least we have access to this larger plan that we started with. And, you know, it's it's important for young families like that to have that sense of security when they feel like all sense of security has been removed from them. So that was kind of the initial steps. Like, I want to do this. I want to affect change. And okay, we did that. And they said, Andrew, are you happy that we got this done for the police officers here in Arizona? And I go, well, actually, no. <laughs> and they said, what? <laughs> And I said, here's the issue. What about fire? So we went back to it and we got fire included as well, which was um, very good. And that ultimately led me to helping out with programs at the 100 Club and being more involved, doing some program development ultimately. Fast forward a few years, the board called and asked me if I would be their CEO. And I took it. It's been an honor of my life to serve in that role. I got to tell you that, I, you know, I. I started with the PD 28 years ago last month and you just floored me with that, that whole uh, explanation of yeah, that's the one person comes into the room that wasn't there prior. And it's, Oh yeah, your, your medical benefits end with the, at the end of the pay period. I mean, who, who didn't think about that before you? I mean, the, you know, it's there were, shocking. there were many that came before you and sadly there'll be, there'll be many after 
who didn't think of that? Who didn't? Who just assumed that uh, you know a loved one killed in the line of duty, and now all of a sudden, oh, the pay period's over, so yeah. that person is no longer quote unquote employed. Therefore, right. yeah, you know, especially when they gave their life in the service uh, of that particular department, and it's crazy. Well, and you as the chief, you know, a couple different things I would say. Um, it's something that a department never wants to be good at. You don't want to have the frequency of loss within your department to have to be good at that part. Yeah, definitely. And I, I give DPS kudos because again, they didn't have a loss prior to mine. It had been almost 10 years since that previous loss. And so the manual, if there was a manual is outdated. Okay. It doesn't apply anymore, but I'll never forget. And why do I do these things? I don't know. People are like, Angela, (laughs) they get a little scared when I come around, but when the director at the time gave me that terrible news that evening. Of course, he was flanked by his command staff and everybody was remarkable. But uh, when he told me that Bruce had lost his life that day, I looked at him and I said, who was the last deputy or trooper? They've changed the name. So it used to be officer. Now it's trooper. I said, who was the last trooper killed in the line of duty? And he took a breath. And this is prior to him being in that role. And he goes, uh, uh, And I said, okay, I just wanted to know if people do really remember and talk about putting the poor guy on the spot. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I put my hand like, oh, okay. That's uh, right. You're right. You asked tough questions because I think you were going to ask some tough questions of us here too today. But uh, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'd love to. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been quite the journey and, but truly the honor of my life to have ended up there. And I've been at the 100 club now for over seven years. I never imagined I'd get, I'm going, I'm going with lucky seven um, instead of unlucky seven, unlucky 13 for today but anyway (laughs) so if you could uh just kind of go into a little bit more about the 100 club and some events they do and and, you know how do they raise money and uh, for our listeners so what's kind of fascinating um is the 100 club is a nonprofit organization that supports all public safety police corrections and fire throughout the entire state all four corners and we do that without any question there's no qualification except for that you are currently actively serving our community anywhere in Arizona. So we do that in a lot of different ways. I talked a little bit now already about our line of duty death, and that's what we're most known for. But it actually is one of the smaller parts of what we do. What we do most is to support those that have been injured in the line of duty, and we do that at a pretty high level. We support them every single month they're out of work until they are able to fully recover or unfortunately medically retire if necessary. So we can do that with a monthly stipend all the way up to $18,000, which is pretty special because those are the folks that need that extra support, that extra encouragement, the eyes on to make sure that they're not forgotten about because they may have a longer recovery. Again, going back to the, you're always part of the department well until you're not and until there's some disconnection and it's how do you keep that engagement and we feel like we're an essential part of that engagement alongside the departments that uh, continue to support them through the process I think you make such a great point because uh, you know even officers uh, and firefighters think okay 100 club 100 clubs there they're going to be there if I if I lose my life in the line of duty Um, but I think that the the point you talk about right now is that it's just so much more than that. And that's not even the biggest component. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's terrific. Can you kind of speak to um, other programs that you have uh, 
you know, and, and Chris alluded to, you know, there are fundraisers, fundraisers that you do. And so can you kind of speak to that a little bit as well? Absolutely. So one of the other impactful programs we have is what we call our Heroes Program. And that Heroes Program is to support in the event of any kind of life-altering situation with a public safety family. So let's say they have a child or a spouse that has been diagnosed with a critical illness God forbid, a terminal illness, or they lose their child or spouse. Well, we're able to provide some financial assistance for that as well. It is a one-time assistance, unfortunately, but that often will help with medical needs um, or, unfortunately, funeral arrangements. So it's a big part of what we do as well because that those are the things that directly affect our officers and firefighters every day, you know, the health and well-being of your family. And that is what is all-consuming. And that also leads me into our mental health and wellness initiatives, which are everything right now. Obviously, we've all learned a lot in the pandemic, whether you're a community member or whether you're currently serving with public safety. Mental health is everything. And these initiatives that we have, Bulletproof and respectively Fireproof, they offer immediate resources in the palm of their hands to make sure that they can truly get what they need. It's all de-identified, completely anonymous, and they can raise their hand and say, you know what, I'm just not good today. And I'm not really good after that call or those calls, God forbid, there's several. So we wanna make sure that they have the opportunity to share their stories, get therapy, um, do some of those self-assessments, whatever it might be, not only for them, but their family members also have access to that. So we are doing that and coupling that with training and coaching and other opportunities for them to get the help that they need. Why? Because when a community member calls 911, they absolutely expect you to show up with your A game. You don't get to show up with your B game, your C game, or be like, my back hurts. I got hurt sleeping. I don't want to get out of the truck or the car, whatever it is. You don't get to do that. And I think the community takes that for granted that they're going to get A game all the time. So we want to make sure that we're supporting them with those mental health and wellness initiatives on the backside so that they can be their best every day. Yeah, wow. It's, uh, you know, these are things that um, I would tell you that even all law enforcement officers or firefighters that, like I said, they, they have an idea of what, of, of what the hundred club is or, but I, I don't think that everybody, anybody really appreciates the depth, uh, and, and all of the extra that you've, that you've brought that your, that your organization is currently doing for just pretty, pretty much every facet of health and well being for, for officers and firefighters. Kind of like, I think about nationally. So I know we're well taken care of here in Arizona. Um, is there is can you can you speak to that on the on the na- on a national level? Well, we're spoiled here in Arizona. I say this quite often because there is not a service organization that is similar to ours that functions on a national level. There are they do specific things. Um, they might help you know work with mortgage payments. They might help work with. Um, you know, loss, exclusively line of duty loss, but they don't do all of the things like I mentioned. They also don't do scholarships for the kids like we do here in Arizona. They also don't buy equipment like we do here in Arizona, trying to fill those holes, fill those gaps where they exist. You know, there are a couple, there's a lot of other 100 clubs, but they're very small and they function at many different levels and none of us are connected, which is kind of a crazy thing. But, you know, the 100 Club of Chicago is currently rebranding to be the 100 Club of Illinois. 
and to cover more than just Cook and Lake County. 100 Club of Houston is also very successful for their respective area. And recently I've been working with the 100 Club of Minnesota to breathe some life back into their organization as a result of, you know, all of the negative rhetoric. Um, I say all the time, you know, I'm from Minnesota. I can't believe what happened there. And everyone I know from there said that was a one-off that is not who we are here. This is not our culture. This is not what happens here. So they're trying to push back a little bit and say, hey, you know what? We're a united front. We're here to support those officers that are out there doing the good. And we need to support them because otherwise, you know, there's these terrible things like FIDO that exist, right? Um, and I will cautiously share what that means, but it, it's happening a lot in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. But you know, within the culture, so they call Fido, you know, F it and move on, F it, drive on, because it's just not worth sacrificing their family, their life, their career for some of these really, you know, everyday misdemeanor type situations. Sad. There's so much to unpack there Mm -hmm. because you're right. There is, there is, um, I think we, we talked about it, um, after Ferguson, and we talked about yes. the Ferguson effect. Absolutely. Right? When you're in the profession and you have a you have a family, young family or otherwise, you have a pension on the line, you're mm-hmm. committed to public safety, and you're you look back and say, I don't know if I'm gonna get involved in that because it's that, hard. that right. That that could put me, you know, uh, on the front page of the newspaper. I'm uh-huh. sorry, newspaper, but on uh, on the front page of, you know, a, uh, a social media, media post. Right. Uh, I could be on a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. There's so much there that um, it's it's so hard. And you again, it's that sense of community, right? It's like, where do you identify? Who do you identify with? And right. you know, being like I said, from Minnesota, that's where I was born and raised. Right, and and that. That narrative and that thought process is only progressing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it's progressing on so many different fronts. Uh, and it kind of takes us almost full circle back to where we started mm-hmm. in, in a narrative that in the you talk about in the defund the police movement or the feeling that many officers have around the country that I, I can barely even do my job. Um, without fear of retaliation, without fear of being assaulted, without mm-hmm. fear of being shot at. And, yes. and that's what we're dealing with in the country right now. And I, I, I worry that um, we're, not, we're on the brink and we're not going to be able to come back from the brink. That's, that's my biggest worry. I agree too. And in a world where everything is on film, everything, everyone has a cell phone camera. And guess what? You guys wear body cameras too. So those are a beautiful thing for so many reasons because it increases accountability, but no wonder we have an issue with recruitment. It's so hard to say, I want to live my entire life on camera, but guess what? There are people out there that are doing that and they are amazing and they're always doing the right thing. It is being supported by the community, by the officers, by those involved, but it's a tough place. It is. And I I think when you, it's, it's actually a perfect storm. Because when you bring all of this narrative together and you you in, oftentimes indoctrinate kids via social media, young people via social media, to say that the police are bad. And then then now we're reaping what we've sown and that we, the, like I said, the fewer and fewer applications. You know, kind of changing gears going back to the 100 Club because something that you, you talked about um, – it's fascinating to me is that we're spoiled here in Arizona and that there are kind of fledgling efforts or some efforts around the country. Um, any chance that there's a, 
there's a potential for you to be like the <laughs> national 100 club. But you're the person to bring all of them together in all 50 states. What a what a what a uh, what a great opportunity. That, that's exactly what I was thinking about too. I think you you are that person that well, could do that. I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. And I've I've worked on sleeping less so that we can get those kind of things done. <laughs> so, uh, so when did the 100 club in Arizona start? 1968. And then why do you think that we are so successful in Arizona for that? So I believe the beauty that we have here is we're progressive. You know, we're one big small town, but we really all kind of unite together to work on bigger initiatives. And like many of the other 100 clubs, we started with supporting line of duty death and many of them still only support line of duty death. But thankfully, that is the minority of for example, what we do here in Arizona. So they might not need to respond near as often as we do. So we actually lost. So in 2020, we were all suffering from the pandemic and COVID and no one knew what to do and how to do it. And we were so concerned about our public safety. We were out there trying to get PPE or um, personal protective equipment when it wasn't always available to make sure that all of our officers and firefighters had what they needed. So 2020, we're doing all these things. We're so scared we're going to lose. And then all of a sudden we're like, there's this window that opened. You're like, oh, 21. Okay, here we are. It's going to be better. Last year in Arizona, we lost 69 public safety members. We lost more individuals last year than we've ever lost historically, even outside of 2013 when we had the Granite Mountain hotshot tragedy here in Arizona. 69 public safety members, seven suicides, about 45 COVID-related deaths that were, unfortunately, the uh, COVID was incurred in line of duty. And then obviously we had some other unfortunate tragedies due to felonious action, et cetera. So it was the hardest year we've ever had, especially as an organization, coupled by the fact that, you know, you apologized to the newspaper a little bit ago, but um, coupled by the fact that normally there's this response where there may be a telethon or a radioathon or something right. along that line where people come out and they're like, you know what, this is horrible. We want to help this family. We want to put funds back into our survivors fund so we can continue to pay it forward. But that all went away. It all went away when the number of deaths that we had increased tenfold and it's never really gotten back there. So we need more support now, more now than ever. And there's a lot of different ways that people can get involved, whether it's to put our license plate on your car, Besides the fact that it's the coolest looking license plate out there. Um, it is. I have it on my car. <laughs> Good job. I checked actually in the parking lot before I came in. <laughs> no, it's the distressed black and white flag with the thin red line and the thin blue line through the middle. Yes, I understand the red is a little more prominent, but that's your eyes. That's how that works. But they really are the same. Um, so that license plate initiative has been our saving grace. I don't know if people know, but in Arizona, if you put a vanity plate on your vehicle, it's going to cost you $25, but $17 of that 25 goes back to supporting respective programs within the nonprofit and ours goes back to help support all those things like buying equipment that make you safer, mental health and wellness, you know, scholarships, more, more so mental health and wellness and, um, our line of duty injury program, et cetera. So there's a lot of ways that people can get involved. And that is such an easy one every day, every day. Mine's 50. 
Yours, Cause it, cause it's, because you personalized, it's personalized it. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's personalized. And just so you know, that part goes to the state. And more than 75% of all vanity plates are personalized. So no wonder we have so many vanity plates in Arizona, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, coming up in September, what, uh, what other events can people join and, sure. and contribute? Sure. Um, the soonest event we have is something that people can't personally, and I hope you never have to participate in, but that is our survivors retreat where we take all of our widows um, and we host them for some self-care and mentorship. And we're going to take them here. Actually, we're going to be up in North Scottsdale, thanks to some incredible community supporters. We're going to work on that. Obviously, that's not something for the community. They can always support that. However, um, we don't ever want you to have to be part of a group like that. Subsequent to that, we also have our 9-11 Tower Challenge, which is happening in a nice, cool indoor arena where it's going to be about 36 degrees. Now it's over on the west side at Gila River and the Gila River Arena. But the 9-11 Tower Challenge is actually happening on the 10th rather than the 11th because it's a Saturday morning. And that's a great opportunity for people to come out and honor the number of steps and those lives lost during the fateful day on 9-11-01 in the World Trade Center. So 2071 steps. Now, yes, it sounds like a lot of steps. However, you can virtually participate, which also means sleep in for the cure. Uh, you can also just walk the concourse or just come out to participate in that facet. And then right after that, we have Founders Day with the West Valley Mavericks. So here in Scottsdale, we have the Thunderbirds, which everyone knows of because of the WM right supported golf tournament however um on the west side they have west valley mavericks and what they are doing is they are doing founders day which is a big food truck festival and no cost to get in however you can purchase tickets to be part of our vip tent experience so again supporting public safety amazing great stuff um i think we're going to go into the speed round but you know i just keep oh, getting boy. i keep getting uh focused on on that that national effort you know, Angela, come on, you know, you were, you were the 2021, uh, you were in the 2021 Phys Phoenix business journals, most admired leaders. Right. So what an honor. Right. And what so an to me, that's gosh, that's, that hasn't, that has a national 100 club CEO wow. you know, director uh, written all over it. I, I would, Don't I you would think, love <laughs> I agree. Most definitely. <laughs> well, I would love that opportunity because I think that our nation needs it. Uh, it's beautiful that it gives um, it gives such support right here in Scottsdale and throughout Arizona. But think of what we could do. Think of what we could do for so many. Tell me about your most memorable call, most memorable call that you've gone on. Mine is actually, uh, it's so horrific that uh, I will give uh, only a few details here um, but it was I was a I was a lieutenant and I have a lot of fortunate and I think any police officer in, in a career uh, has some mind-blowing uh, wonderful calls and mind-blowing mm -hmm. horrific calls mm -hmm. and and I always go with the thing that pops in my because I had some wonderful calls and some sure. just terrible calls but this one as soon as you ask the question it pops in memorable because it was um it was straight out of a horror movie mm -hmm. and it was uh a family a domestic issue uh that uh, turned into uh, multiple homicides and ultimately uh ended uh, with a shootout between dad and an adult son in the kitchen uh, after dad had killed mom 
uh, killed this, the sister and then uh, uh, adult son engaged in a gunfire, close quarters gun battle in the kitchen with dad. Um, and ultimately, son was wounded, survived. Dad did not survive after uh, both guns went empty and they attacked each other with fists and knives. Goodness. And it was a kind of a macabre horror show when you went inside that residence. Um, memorable because it was just off the charts uh, Well, these evil. are things people shouldn't ever see. And, Agreed, yeah. And so maybe you can come on my podcast called The Call. Uh, which is stories from behind the badge. And we'll learn a little bit more about that. However, but this is a great testament to the mental health capacity and what's important, you know, not only on the community side, the fact that that even happened and making sure they have resources, but then coupled with, you know, your role starting as an officer and or sergeant, lieutenant, commander, chief, you name it, it still sticks with you to this day for a variety of reasons, I'm sure. So hopefully we can unpack that a little bit later. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Uh, I w- often will tell people that if you look at any firefighter, any police officer, uh, even have if they've done the job for a short period of time, there is not a police officer or firefighter out there that does not have some level of post-traumatic stress. Without a doubt. Um, and, and I think... I think we tend to, on the law enforcement side, especially those who have been uh, in the profession a long time, mm-hmm. we grew up in a different era of policing. You talk about wellness, which mm-hmm. is amazing, and we, we push a lot of wellness initiatives here at the PD. Yes, you do. But it, that that was not the norm 28 years ago when I started. It was, uh, not incredible. you know, suck it up, buttercup. For you sure. Know? And, it, and, and we've gotten progressively better over the years, but... Yeah, there is, uh, I think all of us walk around, especially those who've been in the profession a long time, walk around at a, um, at a, at a state, there's a state there, an equilibrium mm-hmm. of some level of trauma or stress that we, maybe we've dealt with, maybe we haven't. So Absolutely. Interesting. It's almost like that trauma bond. And that's why cops usually hang out with cops and firefighters hang out with firefighters, you know, good, bad, indifferent. It just is what it is. And even though we talk about maybe it could happen, it actually does happen. And it's happening in our own communities, but we're, we're so fortunate that our officers that are out there every day are truly insulating the rest of us from these horrific things that are happening. But that's why we're here with the 100 Club, because we always say we're your backup. Because guess what? Even you guys need backup. So true. Uh, yeah. Okay, those are my we don't, hard we questions. Don't, we don't want to admit it sometimes. Would, most of the time, the, you don't want to admit it. But the good thing about the younger officers and firefighters is that they're much better at admitting when they need help, uh, as opposed to to dinosaurs like Chris and I. You know? Well, you have to shift a culture. And because they've started early, because now in the the academy, you're actually having these conversations that weren't even part of even my academy, right? Or your, either of yours. It's just, it's just more commonplace to have those discussions. And that's a good thing because it will ultimately help that shift. That's a wrap for this month's episode with Angela Harrell. To learn more about the 100 Club, you can visit their website at 100club.org. That's 100club.org. 
Hey everybody, it's Tony with the Canine Unit. We have the uh, Desert Dog Canine Trials and Public Safety Expo. We're going to be at Westworld again, October 22nd and 23rd. Uh, every canine unit in the Valley will be participating, so there's plenty of opportunity to cheer on their favorite city. We also wanted to give you a friendly reminder that if you ever are in an emergency situation and cannot call 911, text to 911 is an option everywhere in Maricopa County. Now let's finish up the show with some final thoughts. All right, Chris, you're going to do the... Uh you're going to do the speed round for Angela and I? Okay. Speed round. Uh, very exciting. I love these questions. Um, so. Uh, Agreed. All right, Chris. Throw all right, your, something throw, more lighthearted. Throw yours out yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, here we go. So in Arizona, uh, we are famous for our sunrises and sunsets. Uh-huh. So which do you prefer? Oh, I also think we're famous for the five C's. Oh, I love a mountain, being up on the side of a mountain, looking at a sunset, I think. Yes. But the beauty of a sunrise is the day is so fresh and it has not been jaded in any way. Possibilities. Possibilities. Hope. Like I said earlier. Right. <laughs> love it. Hope. Bunch of just, we got awfully soft in this, uh, in this episode here <laughs> yeah, real quick. Sorry. Uh, I'm just here to show the other side. What's that? She didn't. She she did. She said. Uh, I think I said sunset. Both. So, I yeah, know. she did say so. It's my diplomatic nature. <laughs> Chief, what about you and Alpine? Uh, definitely sunset and Alpine from my property in Alpine. Mm. The 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 with the mountains in the background, the the pink hues, the clouds. I mean, it's just yeah, uh, sunset. The sky does amazing things here in Arizona. It's why they call it the painted desert. You've traveled forty five countries, mm-hmm. been all over the place, uh, but most amazing place in Arizona that you visited? I know where I want to go and I have not been yet. Which is? They only allow roughly 25 people per day. You have to register well in advance. Amangar, no, no, no. What's it called? It's the, it's like the, it's like the natural the wave. bridge. No, oh. it's like the wave that goes through the, I'm going to have to look it up and cheat on my phone. Can we is come it back? Antel- Antelope Canyon? Yes, that's yeah. what it is. Thank you. Antelope. I was going to say Amangari, but I can't afford that, but that sounds amazing too, but I think that's over the border in Utah. <laughs> Uh, you know what mine is. Mine's Alpine, Arizona. It's oh. the I think the prettiest place uh, in all of Arizona. I've, I've never, never been. Heard, never heard of it. Antelope Canyon. Yeah, never. Oh my goodness. Oh, I, you've seen photos. There's oh, no question. Look. All right. What about uh, favorite place in Scottsdale? Oof. Favorite place in Scottsdale. I have so many favorite places. Are we talking like establishments to visit, or like what are we talking? Speed about? Speed round. Your choice. Oh, I do love the living room up at DC Ranch. Nice. One of my favorites. I also just love driving up in that North Scottsdale part. Again, that little bit of elevation, being able to see the city and the fact that it feels almost a little more rural, even though you're right here in the middle of Scottsdale. So I would say in that area, can't go wrong with any of the resorts. They're all amazing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This is so hard, you guys. It's a good question. I didn't get any of these in advance, just for the record. Uh. Wow. Started as a cop here 28 years ago. Um, this is going to sound so strange, but my favorite place is, uh, is more a collection of places. It's old town. Uh, oh, I like, yes. I like old town because of the food, the entertainment. Uh, my wife and I are a bit of foodies, so we love, uh, trying different restaurants. Um, and there are so many little hideaway spots in old town. Um, it's it's just absolutely amazing. So there's just so many great places in Old Town. That's uh, that's that's my favorite. Excellent. Yeah, I uh, I love Scottsdale, and uh, you know my friends that live in uh, 
other areas, Gilbert, Chandler, they always ask me to come visit them. And I'm like, why would I leave Scottsdale? We have everything here. That's true. All right. What's next? That's it. Oh, I thought you were going to ask some hard ones, you know, like uh, <laughs> what's Angela's favorite movie, you know, of oh, all gosh. time, you know, yeah. something oh, like Top yeah. Gun all day long. And not just because it was re-released. Just well, like. I was going to ask favorite comedy movie. Oh, comedy. See, I'm so bad at this game, you guys. Super Troopers. <laughs> no. Fletch. Not, no. <laughs> oh, that's good, you guys. Okay, I, you can enlighten me in this arena. All right, that is our last. Those are our last questions, Angela. I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. I know how busy you are, and and uh, especially as you get ready for your run for a national uh, 100 club uh, president. <laughs> but uh, the work you do f- on behalf of all of us and the families um, uh, of which you're you're will always be part of our family. Uh, in law, I mean, you're you're one of us. We. What's great is um, I know that I'm always going to see you. Uh, either at the summit up in Flagstaff, or ho- hopefully you're going to go to uh, to Laughlin for the Chiefs con- of conference. Of it is uh, it's a great place. You are you are one of us, and um, the work that you and your staff does is just absolutely amazing. And we just can't thank you enough. Well, we are absolutely honored, and thank you all for your service to the community. Thank you. You bet. Every, all our listeners, thanks again for listening to us. Uh, you know, hopefully we're bringing you some, uh, like today, we're bringing you some just great stories, great insight on, on those things that impact the law enforcement community here in Scottsdale and in, in the state of Arizona. Uh, crazy times. You know, I, taught, I finish every every show with that thought process. Uh, a lot of craziness, a lot of division, a lot of angst and anger going on in our country right now. Um, some of that, some of that is being fomented on purpose. Uh, just please be critical thinkers. Pay attention to that. Take care of one another. Um, we are all each other has, and so uh, remember that every day offers each of us the opportunity to be more in the service of others. And I, that's my challenge for you. It's from for myself, for my organization, is to be more in the service of others. Take care of each other, and we'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to Shop Talk, episode 13. If there's something you wanted to know, please visit our social media pages at Scottsdale PD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or TikTok. We love getting to know you, the ones who are listening to the show. We look forward to next month where we have Dr. Solom, emergency room physician and Scottsdale Fire Department's medical director, and we're looking forward to see you at the canine trials. Till then, be more. <laughs>